You're listening to Grow Yourself Up, a weekly mental health podcast hosted by Kath Cunahan. I'm a psychotherapist, writer, and speaker working in private practice in London. I specialize in the impact of our own childhood on our parenting and how we can heal and integrate our childhood trauma, wounding, and stress so that we can inhabit our full adult selves. Join us each week as we talk about all things growing ourselves up, how we can tend to ourselves in our parenting, generational healing, and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma. Together, we will become more self-compassionate, connected, authentic, resilient, and heart-centered, so we can live our own full and beautiful lives. As a listener of this podcast, you're welcome to come over and join the Facebook group. So search on Facebook for Grow Yourself Up. It's a private Facebook group of all the listeners. And did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan, and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. Welcome back to Grow Yourself Up. It's episode 69. And today I want to dig a bit more into the impacts of emotional neglect when we were child children and how this actually plays out in our parenting and in terms of what we have inside of us, in terms of like how we regard ourselves. So I'm going to give you a little bit of um, like a sort of a whistle stop tour, I guess, on the links between attachment, emotional neglect, and regulation. So at its core, emotional neglect is the idea that we have not been given access to our feeling states. So our feelings and our emotions rise up from our body, and ideally, we learn to use them as a guide to how we live because they indicate that something is going on. So, for example, anger is an extremely important emotion because it indicates that a boundary is being crossed or we are being threatened in some way. And so we feel a sense of we get this anger in our body and often we, um, we get triggered into fight or flight. So we, we, we want to take some action. But many of us have had that um, impulse suppressed. We haven't been allowed to express anger. But actually, it's got a really important function which is to protect us. So when we've experienced emotional neglect, our knowledge of our own feeling states and our ability to use them as a guide, to not overreact to them and to kind of deconstruct what they're trying to tell us and to act accordingly is, is just simply not there. We may repress everything. We may repress only emotions that were seen as kind of bad, in inverted commas, in our family. We may only allow what we think is safe. We may use a lot of denial. We, we have a lot of psychological coping strategies at our fingertips, which we use to keep ourselves safe in childhood. So if every time you expressed anger as a child, and children have a lot of anger, there's a lot of rage and anger that comes out of a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, a six-year-old, they're learning to process their own anger. They're learning what it means. They're learning what is kind of appropriate, and we help them with that. But if 
it's all been suppressed, then you'll have no idea how to um, kind of deal with your own feelings. And so you may continue to suppress your anger. Say, for example, something happens within your relationship and your partner does something that really makes you angry. But as soon as you notice that sense of anger in your body, or you might not even notice that actually, you just, it makes you feel unsafe and stressed. So you feel the need to push that down. Or you may have a sense of that I need to do everything by myself. So even though something that they do makes you angry, there may be, have not been any modeling that you could ask for help or point out that something was bothering you or any modeling around conflict. So go back to episode, the episode about rapture and repair and good enough parenting. I think that's episode 60. If it resonates that you've had no modeling about um, rapture and repair. But what that means is, so if you notice um, they haven't helped you with something that helped you with and it's made you angry, but then you feel like you can't ask for help, because actually often for many of us, asking for help feels um, shameful and humiliating then you, you, not only do you not get any of the help, but you've also now suppressed some of your feelings in order to maintain this relationship with your partner. And so there's a lot of self-abandonment there, but it takes a lot of practice to notice, okay, I'm angry about this. I feel that you didn't help me when you said you would or whatever's happened. And I am allowed to ask for help. It's not shameful that I can't do everything by myself. But that's um, that's very threatening for many of us. It feels like, wow, um, I can't acknowledge that. And I think that um, this, this general issue around um, shame, around asking for help, explains a lot of um, the reasons that so many of us struggle in parenthood because it feels so shameful to ask for that help. So essentially, this emotional neglect, when this has happened to us, we don't have any tolerance for our own emotions and feeling states. And because of the way we were forced to deal with everything alone, so all our emotions as a child, we walk around all the time with a slightly panicked feeling in our body, a sense that things are not okay. We have low level or high level anxiety all of the time. And often there's a feeling of I'm, I'm constantly getting things wrong or feeling guilty about things if we can't get everything perfect and an overall sense of shame. And this is actually not about you. This is about the parenting that you received. So when we haven't got what we need in childhood, it is too terrifying to make that about our parents because we, we want to keep them on a pedestal. And so as a child, we make it all about us. We, we internalize that sense of badness. I saw something beautiful that um, Ariel Schwartz said. She said, instead of thinking that we are good children with bad parents, we swap and we think we're a bad child with good parents. And so, and when that happens, we are constantly walking around feeling uh, guilty, full of shame, like we're getting everything wrong all of the time. That's not the case, but it takes a lot of noticing and undoing of that and soothing to kind of shift away from that. The biggest impact of lack of being aware of our feelings and helping, having help with our uh, processing when we're a child, is that we are insecurely attached and we don't have a wide window of tolerance. So attachment, in our attachment relationships, it's key for our sense of self and our sense of being good enough that we are supported in all our feeling states as children. Because what we're trying to help our children learn is that 
You are lovable even in your worst moments. Now listen to that. You are lovable even in your worst moments. Many of us were sent away in our worst moments. We were punished, smacked, uh, threatened, mocked, simply sent away. You know, like if you're going to cry, go and cry in your room. Even if there wasn't smacking or any level of violence, um, there was kind of that banishing. And what that leaves the child with is a sense of, okay, so now the attachment relationship's getting broken. I'm sent away. And it's related to how I'm behaving. So what gets coupled together is the sadness, the anger, the rage with the sense of devastating separation from the attachment relationship. So of course, you are going to want to sever connection with your own anger and your own rage and your own sadness. Because when you were a child, your, your attachment figure was doing that. And then it gets more complicated when we have our own children, because their huge feeling states are very confronting then. If we want to sever our own anger, like sever contact with it because it feels so threatening, of course we're also going to want them to stop being angry so that we can feel okay. So I know some of this is it's kind of quite complicated, but it just I want to just revise that thing about um, the attachment. Secure attachment gives us a feeling of I'm okay and I'm lovable. When we have secure attachment, we have a sense of the world being a safe, good place. We have an idea that people are generally good and will generally treat us well, and that they generally think well of us, and we think well of others. So we're not kind of in these paranoid fantasies all the time, which are kind of like, oh, you're doing this to me, or you think this about me, or you think that I'm crap, or actually I am crap. And we don't get into that kind of all that anxiety stuff, which which when we're insecurely attached, we do get into. We do a lot of projection. We imagine that they think badly of us. We think badly of others because at our core, there's an insecurity about our sense of self. And so for our children and for us, when we're trying to um, create secure attachment for our children, we want to be really present for their feeling states. And this takes a lot of practice. And for our own feeling states, because if you've grown up with having half of your emotions or maybe all of your emotions disavowed, then your own emotions may threaten you now. And part of creating secure attachment with yourself and really mothering yourself, doing that self-mothering is allowing all your feeling states. When we've got insecure attachment, we by definition do not have a wide window of tolerance. So attachment is all about regulation, actually. When your baby cries and you pick your baby up and you're like, oh, sweetie, let me give you a bottle or let me feed you. And you put your baby to your chest and you stroke them or you pat them and you use your voice to comfort them. And you can hear I'm using sing-song prosody. That's comforting for the baby. They're like, oh, okay, what their experience is, I'm being seen, I'm safe. They're going to help me. They're going to help me regulate this unpleasant sensation of hunger. They respond to me. It's safe for me to express. So the baby learns, it's safe for me to express. My responsive, attuned caregiver comes to me enough of the time to soothe me. So my activation in my system gets down-regulated. So I return to my own window of tolerance, i.e. the babies. But when we have been parented by people who are inconsistent, who are unable to be present for us, who are imposing routines on us which don't respond to us, so i.e. if they leave us crying for long periods of time and they're not with us, 
if they um, don't respond when we're hungry. So, for example, if you have if a baby has had a, a forced feeding feeding routine and actually they're crying for the last two hours, it might be that they're really hungry. And a lot of historic parenting advice has been very much about um, imposing stuff on a baby, which is not actually what the baby needs. And so, in that case, the baby gets left with a lot of um, discomfort and dysregulation in their system as a result of this. And so, when we can sensitively respond enough of the time to our children, we build a secure attachment with them. But This is really complicated and difficult when we ourselves are not securely attached because so many things about our children trigger and stress us and push us out of our window of tolerance. So then it is difficult for us to respond in a way that we want that may be in line with our values. And in addition to that, having children gives us access to our own childhood experiences in a way that we may never have previously accessed. Well, we wouldn't have previously accessed because we wouldn't have been triggered in this way. And many of us don't have an actual story about what got went on in our childhood. We may think that it was, like we may even think it was really lovely without realizing how much um, emotional neglect there was. But the sense of dis-ease lives in our body. So let me give you an example. I've got a very clear example from my life about something that happened. When I was three and my sister was two, one of my sisters, my mother had a, we had a baby, a baby brother called Richard, who died of cot death or sudden infant death syndrome. I don't actually even know how old he was when he died because both of my parents are dead. And um, my mother destroyed all the photo albums, I think, or got rid of them before she died. So that's actually another devastating thing that I don't know that much about him. But what I do know is that he died when I was three and um, I have some memories around it. But what has been really interesting is how much grief has come up for me. Well, it's to be expected, but how much grief has come up with me in parenting when I've really connected to this loss and when I've imagined what it would be like. And some of the things my children have said to me have really helped me with that. So um, I've talked to them about this. And um, one one of them said, oh, did you get to say goodbye? And I thought about that and I was like, no, I would not have got to say goodbye. He he was discovered early in the morning. He was rushed off to the doctor and then taken to the hospital in the morgue. And I don't even know if they told me he was dead. Like, imagine that for a three-year-old. I thought he was my baby. I was very, um, I was kind of in a caretaking role in my family and tending to my mother. And then that really stepped up after this. But um, it's really put me in touch with, wow, what must it have been like for me on that actual day? Suddenly this person who I adored and wanted to play with all the time was gone. Then my mother was always crying. What, what's going on? So there's so many things that I've had to uncouple in, in adulthood. Now that's a, like a big dramatic story, but what I want you to take away from this is that um, as in your childhood, not being given access to your emotions and not being helped with them would mean that all of the little hurts that happen throughout the day, because there's multiple things that happen with kids. If you fight with your siblings, imagine if every time you fight with your siblings, you're either punished or sent away. Imagine if when you stub your toe or you are very sad about something that happened where you lost a toy or your paper tore, you know, like we're like we have a, a sometimes a real sadness in our house when our drawing, the paper tears. And, you know, like, sometimes I'm like, 
okay, enough already with all the feelings, enough already. But when we haven't had all of that holding, there's so much that is held inside of us still. Our own children will tap us into that. But we may also be very prone to um, anxiety and depression then, you know. Depression is is often that we've coped for way too much for too long and that there's so much we need to grieve. Depression is often called either trapped anger or trapped sadness. And I often actually think that postpartum depression is that is a lot around our own implicit memories of our own babyhood and the sadness that maybe was not held there because we hold everything. We hold our experiences in our bodies and um, our own parenting role and our children gives us access to these experiences in a new way. And many of us have so many tears to be shed. So, you know, you might have a specific story from your childhood that you know about, or there may be endless daily hurts that were not supported and were brushed away, denied, or you were left to deal with them by yourself. And so now, in the process of of mothering yourself, self-mothering, all of your feeling states are valid. All for, like, everything that comes up is valid. It doesn't mean that you have to act on it. But the sadness that you feel, the anger that you feel, all of that needs to be validated and held. And you can't do this type of um, emotional holding for your children if you're not allowing it to be done for yourself. You probably need some professional help, at least initially, to do this, a group or, um, or individual therapy. And initially, when you start to do this, it feels, it can feel like a tsunami of feelings because um, you've opened up something. But it does get much better over time. One of the things I would suggest is that if you're having a lot of feelings and struggles that appear from nowhere, that might indicate that this is a lot of stuff from childhood because it's not that it's appearing from nowhere. It's that things are triggering you. And if you, when, you, when holding your children's feelings um, feels almost impossible, or like you really need to shut it down, that's also likely telling you something from your own childhood. So look at those those times when you absolutely feel like it's impossible to hold your child's feelings. Notice what those feelings are. Notice what the first messages that come into your head around them are. Notice what it feels like you need to do. It might feel absolutely imperative to shut them down. Notice that. Ponder that. Um, and be with your body in those sensations because all of that is telling you something really valuable. And when feelings and struggles seem to appear from nowhere, journal on that. You know, journaling and, and talking about it and thinking often um, triggers more stuff and more memories so that you can actually process things because our children are an amazing conduit to our own past. So, yeah, I, I hope this has given you a bit of an overview about the long-term impacts of emotional neglect that we really have to parent ourselves, soothe ourselves, and learn to be in connection with our own emotions. Your emotions are not bad. They're telling you something. It's really useful to be able to use them as a guide. And it may feel like such an invasion initially and such an affront. It may be such a surprise to you that you have so many emotions. And when we've had a backup, it's, that's, that's what's going to happen, basically, when, you know, when we've had a backup on our system. So go gently. I hope this has been useful and let me know if you have any questions. Take really good care. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up, hosted by Kath Cunahan. 
We'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart-centered, connected, authentic, and resilient living. Thank you.